Genesis chapter 1. Now we're going to get into some deep theological. Man, you really crammed all three of these Bibles up here, didn't you? You were like, I'm going to make sure he's got all three of them. And they're all open and he can read all of them. <laughs> oh, wow. You, <laughs> Becca said you need to stop setting the bar so high, okay? <laughs> Oh, I know she does. I know she does. We Look, there isn't a man on the planet that can get by without his wife anyway, okay? If you think we can, you're crazy, okay? I don't even know how Mike made it to 38. How old were you when you met her? 36? Thirty-five, okay. I don't even know how Mike made it to 35 without Judy, okay? It's like a miracle, especially when I was his best friend for so long, okay? <laughs> Woo! Woo! That's a, that's, a, that's a whole nother story all by itself. But there ain't a woman in here that uh, doesn't deserve credit for helping her man, okay? I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. Oh, that is funny, though. I might use that later. <laughs> Kyle, when you get to preach, don't look at your pulpit and go, Where's all my Bibles? Because she's going to get upset with you, okay? Just don't do it. <laughs> I can see it now. Kyle's doing a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. He's like, well, Carmen puts Bibles up there for Kevin. <laughs> That's going to be an argument when he goes home. <laughs> I'm just joking. I know you wouldn't do that. Did you really? See, see, I might not be wrong. I, look, you're really quiet, but I think you're a lot more like my wife than I know. <laughs> oh yeah Carmen it's funny because I'll remember to open doors for Carmen just randomly right and sometimes people are around and sometimes people ain't but every time people are around and I do it she goes you're just doing it because people are around <laughs> uh, hey I was off she didn't even wait for me to get around there, okay? She got out in the car and went, <laughs> I couldn't even get around there to catch her. She jumped out on the ice like uh, one of the ballerinas and ice skaters. Oh, no, I was not laughing. I did not laugh at her. Not on the inside. Now she's a mind reader, too. <laughs> Oh, we're not going to have any Genesis teaching on here, are we? <laughs> we're not going to have any Genesis teaching on here at all. <laughs> Go outside, we'll push you down. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I want to read a little excerpt here. <laughs> I don't know if I can get through this now. <laughs> let's just read. Let's just let's just read some of this and then go back, okay? I think I'll start with the ESV. <clears throat> I started with King James this morning. Michael, Michael suffered through a little bit here. <clears throat> In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And I'm going to stop right there. And then I'm going to go read out of King James. Because I'm like that. Watch this. I just want you to get it. It's the same, same verse, same, same story. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Stop. Now these two things are an introduction to what God is about to do in this chapter, okay? But Moses writing this book is explaining what God has given him as a revelation of how the world began and everything leading up to his time, okay? So... What you have to realize, Moses writing this book on Mount Sinai <laughs> is writing this straight from God, okay? This is a revelation of God to Moses, okay? Now, we are pretty sure that this wasn't all written down right then, okay? Because Moses had to go up on the mountain and they went through all the stuff they went through, right? We're pretty sure that Moses wrote this later in his life, but he got all this information while he's on the mountain. He realized how long Moses was on the mountain. He was on the mountain a long time. I can't remember how many, was it, was it a couple weeks anyway, wasn't it? 40 days, like they were camped out there. You know what I mean? They were camped they were up, Moses was up there long enough that they had time to take all their jewelry together and make a golden calf and start worshiping it, okay? That's how long they were up there, okay? And him and Joshua stayed up there, okay? And Joshua was only about halfway up, and then Moses went the rest of the way, right? And they was up there a while, long enough for a golden calf to be worshiped, long enough for God to write some Ten Commandments, and then Moses broke them and had to go back up the mountain and write more, 40 days, 40 days. And there's probably a picture of how long it's going to be in the wilderness anyway. That 40 years, you know, wandering for 40 years. Types and shadows, right? Types and shadows. Jesus, what did he do? Fast for 40 days, right? Just saying. How long was it uh, until the day of Pentecost from the time Jesus rose from the dead? To the day of Pentecost. How long was it? Anybody? Was it 50 days? Fifty days, right. Right. Okay, so here's my thing. From the time that Jesus ascended till then. That's what Pope uh so how long was that? I something like that, I thought. I'm backwards too, but it's okay. We'll we'll talk about that when we get to it. I didn't study that, so we're not going to talk about it right now anyway, okay? okay? Praise the Lord. We don't have to get caught up in that cockle burr until we get to it. Amen? Anybody know what a cockle burr is? <laughs> Painful. Painful is what cockle burrs are. Amen? So in the beginning... The Hebrew word here, and I've talked about this after church this morning with Mike and, and Kyle, 
But the Hebrew word for God right here, when it says in the beginning God, the Hebrew word here is Elohim. And Elohim means the supreme God or the living God. Amen. And the idea that, that is pervasive in Genesis is in stark contrast with all of the other nations that surround Israel. Do you know what the difference between what's going on in Genesis as opposed to the rest of the countries around them? Babylon, they believed that the earth was created by many gods who were at war with each other, right? Canaan, the Canaanites believed something very similar, okay? Uh, all of the people that surrounded Israel when they ended up into the promised land were polytheistic, okay? What does polytheistic mean? They believed in many gods, right? The difference in all of their stories, you can go to the Babylon story, you can go to the, uh, uh, oh, what's the other one? The Hittites and their story of creation. You can go to the, uh, huh? Well, no, the Jebusites have about the same thing. But they have many different ways, or uh, it was the Sumerian text. That's what I was thinking of. The Sumerian story of the beginnings. They believed in multiple gods. Now, it's interesting here that throughout Genesis, you hear about the one God. Amen? God is monotheistic. Abraham or Moses is writing in a monotheistic way, or in other words, he believes in one God. Amen? So the importance of this is the way that they're saying God here as Elohim, what they're saying. And the Elohim can mean several things. It can mean, you can use it for like if you're talking about false gods, but they'll write it different. They'll lowercase things and they won't put any emphasis on it, okay? They'll talk about it. The word can be used, matter of fact, only one time that it's mentioned about people is in, what psalm is it? I don't remember what psalm that is, where it's all little gods or whatever. Huh? 82, Psalm 82. Did I not call you gods? And they use the lowercase version of God. And what they're doing is they're lowercasing Elohim too. And they're not talking about gods like Elohim, the actual supreme God. He's talking about rulers, kings, okay? So this word can be used in different ways, but the way that it's used in Genesis is always, every time, capitalized and emphatic that it is the supreme God, the living God. Amen? So what you got to remember in Genesis is that when this word Elohim is used, it's used to talk about the one true God. Amen? Amen, Kevin. I'll preach to myself. I'll preach to myself. I know you did. I know you did. I want to read another note. Uh, in this opening verse uh, can be taken a summary introducing the whole uh, passage. It can be read as a first event, the origin of heaven and earth, sometimes before the first day, including creation of matter, space, and time. 
This second view of the origins of heaven and earth is confirmed in the New Testament where the writer affirms that creation was formed from nothing. What are they talking about here? There's two different views of creation. There's one creation that says that verse 1 and 2 is some kind of beginning of creation and then God stopped or it got messed up by the fall of Satan. And then in verse 3, it starts an actual creation event. Okay, from the stuff that was already there. Now, this is not backed up in Scripture. This is conjecture, okay? Because we don't see that in the text. What we see is God saying, let me, let me tell you how Moses wrote it. Moses said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and without void, or was without form and void, right? Darkness was on the face of the deep. The creation started in verse 1. Okay? It didn't stop and then start all over again. Okay? It was immediately when God created the heavens and the earth, what we see is the earth was empty and unfilled. That's technically what the terms void and without form is what they're talking about empty, formless, was not complete, wasn't done, but God started the creation process. Amen? So in creating the heaven and the earth, why would he leave it without form and void? Because he's doing it in stages, obviously, okay? He didn't speak it all into existence the first day, did he? Okay, so this is, it fits the pattern that we see even in this chapter where one day God does this, the next day God does this, the next day God does this. Amen? So we can't confuse this and pretend that something different is going on here. Amen? God, let me ask you a question. What other verse supports the fact that God created the heavens and the earth? None. Why? Because the heavens and the earth were created in verse 2. Right there in verse 1 and 2. God created the heavens and the earth. They were not filled. They did not have form. But they were created. How many of us know how a baby made? Okay. Obviously everybody in the room. Okay. <laughs> so. What I'm telling you is. When that little. Uh, egg starts out, it doesn't look like what it's going to look like when it comes out. Amen? But it doesn't mean it hasn't started, right? So just because it hasn't taken the shape of a human being does not mean it is not alive, nor is it constituted as it is still a human life at conception. Okay? So we know that a human life is born at conception. The heavens and the earth were still the heavens and the earth. In verse 2, they just had no form and they were empty. No stars. They weren't created yet. No land. It wasn't there yet. What we do say, what we do see in the creation of heaven and earth, though, is obviously God started with Water. How do I know this? Read the verse. It says, 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Amen? Now, one translation. Now, I have an ESV, a normal ESV, you know, the first 2008 version of this ESV Bible, okay? And the Reformation Study Bible, which is an ESV version study Bible, says a little different. It says, and the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, right? Right? That's the next part of the verse. The, the ESV on here says darkness was over the face of the deep. What's the deep? People, people try to super spiritualize this, okay? I'm just warning you that if you talk to somebody that's trying to super spiritualize this, what they're going to say is, oh, the deep could have been, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, this is a, uh, what is it I read the other day? Somebody thinks that this is in reference to the Sumerian god Marduk because he was of the deep. No, it's just the word deep, weirdo. And Anytime we're talking about water, you can refer to water as the deep, okay? Just come on, man. And it is explained in the very next portion of the sentence right after the apostrophe, right? Or comma, excuse me. Right after the comma, it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Or the King James says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Amen. So we don't have to jump to some super spiritualized version of what the deep is. It's water. That's what the very next part of the verse says. That it was water. Amen. So let's just take it for how it's written where it says it's water and believe that. Okay. I don't want I, I know that some people are like but it, it could have other meanings. It doesn't. Come on, man. There wasn't no people around to talk about Marduk anyway, right? Come on, man. Give me a break. Give me a break. It. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Well, every part of life begins with God interweaving things to make it alive, okay? That we have an idea about this in that not every human woman can conceive a child, right? And even those who can conceive don't always conceive. Come on, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, we, we put too much stock into our own self sometimes, you know what I mean? And, you know, I got a question for all them people that think we was, you know, descended from some puddle of ooze out in the middle of somewhere, okay? If you think all we are is a bunch of chemical reactions, then how, how, do, how do you have any rational thought that you can actually believe if all you are are electrical impulses in a chemical reaction in a bunch of brain, okay? Right. If you hover over the water and something cannot exist, then 
Yeah, well, watch this. What is, do you guys understand the word that's being used there when it says hover? You know what it means roughly? Huh? It, it's like a bird hovering over her nest. Like it's brooding. Like it's waiting to take care of it. It's watching over it. You see what I mean? That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in creation right here. He's ready to help the child. What, why, did, why did they brood over the nest? Why do birds brood over their nest? Well, there's lots of reasons why. Maybe there's not enough nest around the eggs. They'll have to go and put some more stuff around the egg, right? Or maybe the eggs, they'll get over there and say, hey, I haven't sat on this egg for a while. I need to go sit on this egg so that this egg's warm enough, right? You got to keep it up to temperature. And then later on, even after the eggs are hatched, what do they do? Well, I got to make sure they're still there, make sure they ain't fell out of the nest, bring them food. There's all kinds of reasons birds do that. And the same reason the Holy Spirit is there is he's ready to start acting on whatever God's about to do next in verse 3. Because in verse 3, we see what? It says, I don't get the wrong Bible, can't see it. And God said, stop. This is the reason the Holy Spirit's brooding over the face of the waters. Because God is about to say something. Amen? Right, right. I'm going to finish this little quote out of here. I think I got a better one over here. Hold on a second. Yeah, I was going to. I was, I was going to, but. Oh, let me see. Oh, yeah, I like this. Talking about the whole first chapter of creation, the Reformation Study Bible says, this account of creation lays the foundation of Israel's worldview, setting out the hierarchy of God, human beings, and the rest of creation. This carefully structured presentation emphasizes the transcendent nature of God who exists apart from all that he creates. The layout of the narrative underlines the orderly nature of creation and the structures that God puts in place. Genesis 1 does not attempt to tell us in detail how God manufactured the physical world and everything in it. Rather, it seeks to explain the hierarchical relationship and boundaries established by God beyond the simplistic uh, of presentation and structure around seven days this text does not tell us everything about the process by which God created the world it doesn't say hey all the water flowed over this mountain and that mountain landed here and did this and all he just said God makes them he doesn't explain it in detail he doesn't give you every little thing He's not drawing a scientific journal telling you he put this atom with that atom and this, this cell with that cell. It didn't do all that, right? It's just telling you that all life, all creation came by God's spoken, ordained word. Amen? That's what he's giving you. I do like this. <laughs> this opening verse in the Bible, verse 1 Seven words in the Hebrew establishes seven key truths upon which the rest of the Bible is based. First, that God exists. 
The essential first step in pleasing God is recognizing that he exists, Hebrews 11, 6. Second, God existed before there was a universe and will exist after there is a universe, Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. Third, God is the main character in the Bible. He is the subject of the first verb in the Bible. In fact, he is the subject of more verbs than any other character in the Bible and performs a wider variety of activities than any other being in the Bible. Fourth, a, as creator, God has done what no human being could ever do. It is active it is the active form of Hebrew verb bara, meaning to create. Never has a human, never has a human subject, uh, never has a human done this. Thus, bara signifies a work that is uniquely God's. Amen? Do we agree with that? Do we agree that human beings don't create new anythings? Amen? We don't speak anything out into existence ever. It doesn't happen. Even human people make babies. No, people do have a part in making babies, but it's their seed and her seed. That seed already existed. Amen? We don't make anything from nothing. God does that. Amen? God is the only one that does that. Uh, next. Fifth. God is mysterious. Though the Hebrew word for God is plural, the verb form of which God is the subject is singular. There, uh, this is perhaps an allusion to God's Trinitarian nature. He has three divine persons and one divine essence. Sixth, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he does not just modify pre-existing matter but calls matter into being out of nothing psalm 33 verse 6 and verse 9 hebrews verse 11 or chapter 11 verse 3 seventh god is not dependent on the universe but the universe is totally dependent on god hebrew 1 3 amen those seven things that I found in the King James Study Bible was awesome. I thought it was great. It was a good way to explain the 40 pages of <laughs> Genesis that I read out of my other book. They condensed it somehow down to a paragraph that I just read to you. Okay. <laughs> so it's awesome for study times like this where we don't have to try to teach you the whole, you know, Morris's book on Genesis, just to get you to understand what's going on here, amen? And it's obvious language, right? This isn't stuff that's hard to do. We don't have to have great deep theological readings on it. Now, if, you're, if you do want to do good deep theological studies on the book of Genesis, I would recommend D.A. Carson's commentary on Genesis, okay? Because he does a good job. Morris is equally as level-headed as Carson is, uh, maybe a little less liked in some circles just because he's a premillennialist, but, you know, whatever, okay? Don't, don't get mad at him for it, right? It's, it's, not, it's not particular to salvation, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, second, 
Look at this. It says, darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I love the fact that people try to debate whether this was water or not, but then it says waters right at the end of that verse, right? So we don't have to have that debate, do we? Does anybody have any idea that the deep was anything other than water? Okay. <laughs> it, it says water. <laughs> right. We don't have to get into that, right? All right. I've got another one. Uh, in the beginning, before anything, before all things, God is eternally existent. This is one of the very first things that we establish in our doctrine of who God is. Amen. This is one of the things that is fundamental in every church. Every church, whether you know it or not, Luark Church of God has a doctrine of God, what they believed God was. The Assembly of God Church has a doctrine of what they believe or who they believe God is. And here's the great thing, okay? Nearly every church in this area, when you ask them who God is, if you go and look at what their church believes on the subject of God, they will all say the same thing. Nearly every time. Baptist Faith and Message, uh, 1689 London Confession of who God is, the Westminster Confession of who God is, they all say the same thing, that God is always existed. He's pre-existent of all other things that were ever made. He's eternally existent. Every one of them believe that. Amen? This is fundamental about who God is. Okay, the reason I'm bringing it up is because we, if we don't have that idea that's who God is, we need to have that idea. Amen. That's fundamental in reading the whole rest of the Bible. If we read Genesis for, for uh, if we have the right idea about Genesis, especially the first 14 chapters, we're going to have a very clear idea of who God is. And how God is and what God does. And it could shape the rest of our ideas about who God is. But if we miss it here, it's like trying to build a Lincoln log house without the bottom log. You know what I mean? You can't do it, right? It's not going to float out there in the ethers all by itself. You know what I mean? You, if you pull that bottom one, it's over, right? You can't do that. Amen? Second, he alone created the heavens and the earth. I mentioned this already. All the other peoples that were around Israel when Moses is writing this were polytheistic. They believed that the universe, well, some of them believed that the universe was created by the gods at war. Or some of them believe, like the Sumerians, that uh, the, the universe was created uh, because a god uh, 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 was wronged by another god and, and started this whole thing out of rebellion you know oh yeah it's weird okay and all other versions of creation there was pre-existent matter or pre-existent material that was used to make them and god had to have help in all those other Stories, okay? God didn't do it alone, or their God, okay? But in this narrative that Moses is writing, it's monotheistic, and God creates it by himself, 
creates everything from nothing by just a spoken word. Amen? This is the difference between every other narrative and this one. Amen? Now watch this. Elohim, the living God, the supreme God, always existed, and it is he who gives life to all things. This is another fundamental principle of who God is. Amen? God is the one that gives life. That's why God is the one that came to Cain and said, Your brother's blood cries out from the earth. Right? Why? Because God created man in his image, in his likeness. And later on, you'll see that God makes it absolutely illegal to spill the blood of a human being. He makes it that if a human being dies by the hand of a human being, that human being's blood is required. If an animal kills a human being, the animal had to be killed because man was made in God's image and God's likeness. And God is the one that gives life to all things. Therefore, all life is subject to God and subject to answer to God. Amen? So our fundamental understanding of who God is is dependent on us understanding that Elohim, the supreme God, the living God, is the one that gives life and everyone will give an account. Amen? That's a theme that goes all throughout the Bible. Amen? The book of Revelation ends with what? People giving an account. Right? That's what happened. I don't know if y'all read it. Chapter 20 where they get the great white throne and, you know, there's books pulled out. And then there's the book of the, you know, the book of life pulled out. And all those who weren't found in the book of life, guess what happens to them? They get the book, the other books. What are those books? The book of the works of their life. And they're judged according to the works of their life and the deeds done in the flesh and every idle word that proceeded out of their mouth. That's what they're judged by. Why? Why are they judged at all? Why does this happen? Because God is the one that gives life. And all life is dependent and submitted and answerable to God. Amen? Fundamental principles of who God is are being taught in this chapter. Amen? God is self-existent, eternally existent. He alone created all things. He's the living God, and if he is the living God that gives life to all things, all life is subject to him. Amen? I told you we were going to get kind of deep in this, and I've only done three verses, okay? <laughs> so just feel lucky that I've only done three verses. Uh, next, without form and void. We already touched on this. That means it was unfilled, unordered, and didn't have a form. It just wasn't formed yet. It was there. The heavens were there and the earth was there from verse 1. When, when it says God created the heavens and the earth, they were there. Verse 2, they just didn't have any form. They were void, weren't filled. They were unordered. Amen? So the rest of verse 1, or the rest of the creation day, the first creation, we see God beginning to put order to this unordered heaven and unordered earth. Amen? 
So the very next verse, is that's what we see. The deep is not some mysterious uh, thing. It is explained as water in the very same sentence that people try to say it's something else. Amen. It's the same sentence. It says, the earth was out form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of the God was hovering over the face of the waters. Amen. Same, same verse. Amen. Uh, next, God moved. We talk about that like he was fluttering over the water. Amen. These first two verses echo deep truth about who God is. And in doing so, serve as, a, as the very foundation to our doctrine about who God is as well. It says in the, in the verse that I read earlier, for, or the uh, commentary that I read earlier from the ESV study Bible, it says it formed Israel's uh, worldview. And I'm telling you, it should, it should form every Christian's worldview nowadays. Amen. Understanding these things about the God we serve. Understanding that this same Jesus that we read about in John 1 and 1 is the one doing this stuff right here. Amen. Nothing was made without him. Amen. Everything that was made was made through him. So our understanding of why I did John and Genesis at the same time is so we can have this quick comparison one to the other. Sermon this morning, we referenced Genesis. The sermon tonight, we're referencing John. Why? Because John was trying to tell us this Jesus is the one in Genesis doing this. Amen. The very next verse we see, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now I want you to reference uh, here, I'm going to flip back to John for you, okay? I want to show you something. The very next verse that we just read is God said, let there be light. Amen? Now watch this. We read John 1 through 3, right? This morning. The very next verse in John, verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not comprehend it. Are you seeing how John is paralleling Genesis with his commentary? Okay, with his, the way he's bringing the prologue in John 1 and 1, he is speaking the same languages in the same way that Moses was describing what God did in Genesis. Amen. The very next thing we see happening in Genesis is God said. Now that word said, when he's saying God said, now we're talking about the son because he's the spoken word of God. He's the logos. Amen. We, were, we read that in John this morning, right? He's the logos. Right? So God's saying this is the son. Amen. All things were made by him, and nothing was made that was made without him. Jesus, the same Jesus that stood outside the tomb of Lazarus, 
that had power in himself to give life. Said, Lazarus, come forth. And it happened. The same Jesus that was sitting in Capernaum and a, and a Roman centurion sent to him and said, hey, I'm, my servant's near unto death. I'm, can you heal him? And he said, oh, let me come to your house. And he said, no, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. But just say the word. Because I heard that you're the Christ. That you're God in the flesh. The incarnate son of God. If you just say the word. And in Genesis, we see this same Jesus speaking life into existence. The very next act is light coming into the world. Amen? That speaks to every single time a person is born again. It is because the light of Jesus Christ is shed abroad in their heart. And they come face to face. With the God who is. Amen. That's how it happens. We're in darkness. We're without form. We're void. We're empty. And then all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And poof. The light comes on. Amen. That's what happens. Whew. I saw the light. I saw the light. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Just like a blind man, I wandered alone. My worries and fears I claimed for my own. But then like a blind man, God gave back my sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Amen? Jesus is the light of the world. And in Genesis, we see the Son of God now reading back from John, understanding that this Jesus is the Logos. He was with God. He was God. He made all things. So we know that when light came into the world, it's because Jesus made light. Because he is light. When we get to heaven, the Bible says that there's going to be no need for the sun or the moon. Why? Because the Lamb is the light. Of that city. Amen. Come on. That's good stuff. I ain't going to go but pass right there. Okay. I was going to make mention of the, the Baptist faith message. And I think I did. The 1689 Baptist uh, London Baptist Confession. They say this about God. That he is eternally existent. The creator of all things. And all things are. Uh, what's the word they use? All things consist. And are sustained by him. Amen. That was the one thing that I liked out of this. Where uh, the verse that we read in Genesis out of the King James here. When I read this uh, commentary right here in Genesis. It says. The very last thing it says is that. The seventh thing that we notice here is that God is not dependent on the universe. But the, the, the universe is completely dependent on God. And it gives us a Bible verse. Right? Let's go look at Hebrews chapter uh, 11. Right? Said, or Hebrews 1 and 3. Which one was it? I think it was Hebrews 1 and 3. Hebrews 1 and 3. 
Let's go to Hebrews 1 and 3, and we're going to close right there, okay? I know I went a little longer than we normally do on a Sunday night, but this is good stuff, and I don't want to miss anything. Hebrews 1 and 11. Man, where is Hebrews at in my Bible? I'm miss, missing God's favorite coffee here. Hebrews, ha, 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 ha. God's favorite coffee. Yeah, I know. Hebrews, okay, here we go. Hebrews, yeah. <laughs> that took me a little bit. Now watch this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the words of his power. That's a good verse. That's a good verse that talks about Jesus' being the one that can, sustains all things. Amen? No, then there's some New Testament verses say that he, he uh, uh, all things, uh, what was the verse I'm thinking about? By him, for him, to him, all that stuff, right? All things were made for him. They're uh, sustained by him, right? That's, that's what he's talking about here. And he's talking about he's sustaining it with the word of his power. Well, what's the word of his power? The Logos, Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, amen? That's what is upholding it, amen? We need to understand and have a right perspective. And I love Genesis for this, and I love doing Genesis and John at the same time, okay? Because it's... It's just good stuff, okay? When you can look back after knowing that Jesus was God and, and was with God and is God and, and nothing was made without him. So when you read Genesis now, you don't get to just think of it like, oh, it was the Father. No, Jesus was right there creating all things. Amen? And guess what? Jesus took on flesh came and died for you so that he could ascend back to the Father and the very moment that you come to faith, the light comes on and you're born again. And he creates a brand new creature in you. Amen? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Why? Because he's been born again. Why? Because Jesus has the power to give life. I don't know. He could. I'll take it like that. I'll take that. <laughs> well, there's a lot of let there be's in the in the in the Genesis one. We're going to see a lot of let there be. Amen. We're going to see a lot a lot of that. We're going to see a lot of God said, "Let this happen. Let that happen. Let this happen." Right? That word "let" don't don't act like uh, that's something where God's like passively waiting. That let has power to it, okay? That that let is making the thing happen, amen? It's not just uh, God sitting back going, okay, let this happen, and then he waits for like eons for it to go, you know, to happen, amen? I don't know about you, but I believe there was six days in creation, okay? And then he rested on the seventh. That's, You know why I believe that? Because Moses said that, and it's in the Bible. Moses said God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. So that's what I believe. 
We're not, we don't have time for that tonight, Kyle. But yes, those days were 24-hour periods because I don't have any other reference for a day other than that. Right. Morning, and morning and evening. That's a day. Amen? Or evening and morning, excuse me. Yeah. 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 Got to get back on our Jewish calendar, Tammy. Evening and morning, not the other way around. We're on Roman calendars where we start in the morning, end in the evening. They start in the evening, end in the morning. We're probably backwards, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> we do, we do. You're right. You're right. Let's stand. We're going to pray. Was it good? Was this good enough? I mean, I know we, it took a while to get to it. I know we took a while for the Comedy Central to stop. <laughs> took, a, took a while for Comedy Central to stop, but it was good. I enjoyed it. I want... Hey. I want to say another thing, especially on these Sunday nights and Wednesday nights when we're doing this. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to say, hey, I want to add something to that, okay? And I'm talking to you specifically, and even you, because I know you like talking too, okay? <laughs> Maybe not preaching, but you do like putting your two cents in there, and you're all right to do that. Any of y'all want to say something at any point, say, hey, pastor, what about this? And nobody even have to say that, okay? You're going to do it anyway, whether I say, hey, you can do it or not. <laughs> as long as it's got water, we're good. <laughs> he did say water. Does anybody want to pray and close tonight? <laughs>